Thank you for joining us. My name is Mark Tapsik, and I'm our Family Office Design and Governance Strategist in Family Office Solutions. The focus of today's event will, will be on helping family offices think through their family citizenship and residency by investment in citizenship planning, which I've been seeing more and more of the past couple of years. Before we start, I want to mention the following. Henley & Partners is not affiliated with UBS and the selection of this firm to brief clients on citizenship and residency by investment is not a recommendation of or a business referral to Henley & Partners. I'm joined today by Judy Gulst, Managing Director of Henley & Partners. Judy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so first question, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and Henley & Partners? Sure. So as you said, I'm Managing Director for Henley & Partners, and I actually head up their New York office. Henley & Partners is an advisory firm, and we specialize in helping people obtain alternative residence and citizenship by investment. And we also have a line of business that helps people obtain citizenship by ancestry. Um, furthermore, we have a government advisory line of business that works with countries around the world developing citizenship and residence programs. To date, we've developed 15 programs that have raised over $12 billion in foreign direct investment. Henley & Partners has been in business for over 25 years, and we've got 45 offices around the world. And my role is basically twofold. Um, first, I work with clients, um, chatting with them, understanding what their objectives are, and then making recommendations on a program or programs that can help them realize their goals. And if they ultimately decide that they want to pursue a program, our firm then provides full service support to make the process as easy and seamless as possible. Secondly, I work very closely with intermediaries, including family offices, providing my expertise and experience so that they can expand their advisory services to include citizenship planning. Perfect. Uh, thank you for that background. So what is investment migration? Good question. So everyone listening today is a citizen of at least one country, and chances are that citizenship is based on either where you were born or the citizenship of your parents. However, in the last 20 years, we've seen a lot of people exploring how to expand their citizenship and residence options by taking advantage of programs that countries around the world offer that allow people to acquire either citizenship or residence if they make an investment in that country. And that process is known as investment migration. And it's become increasingly popular in recent years as individuals and families are trying to mitigate risk, create opportunities, preserve their wealth and legacy. There are basically two different strategies people can consider. They can either pursue a residence, which means that they make an investment in a country and then are permitted to live in that country. And they can live there up to 12 months a year. Uh, with the U.S. passport, if you go to another country, you're not able to stay in that other country forever. You may be able to enter it without a visa, but typically you have to exit it, usually within at least 90 days. If you become a resident of a country, you can then live longer. You can live there 12 months a year for multiple years. The other route is citizenship. And again, there are programs where you can make an investment in a country to become a citizen. All right. So good point. So what's the difference between residency and citizenship? 
So that's a very important question. And when I'm talking to clients, I really need to get to the bottom of what their priorities are. So if you want to become a resident in a country, you get the ability to live in that specific country, but it's not permanent. Um, so you can live there 12 months a year, but you have to maintain certain conditions in order to continue to have that right. Uh, first of all, you're going to have to renew your residence. Uh, so it may be every three years, every five years. You are likely going to have to maintain an investment. Um, it may be an investment in real estate, maybe an investment in private equity or venture capital. It could be a currency deposit. Each country is going to have different requirements that they need you to meet in order for you to maintain that residence. There could be a physical presence requirement. They may say you want to be a resident, fine, but you have to visit here 14 days every two years. And other countries may say you, you don't need to visit here. Um, citizenship is different in that it is a permanent right. So you would, again, be able to live in that country 12 months a year. Um, but you don't need to renew it once that citizenship has actually been granted. And typically, you don't need to maintain the investment once you reach the point of citizenship. Now, where the value of citizenship is very significant is when you're looking at Europe. Because if you become a citizen of a country in Europe, you not only gain the ability to live in that specific country, say Portugal um, or Malta, but because they are part of the European Union, you get the ability to live anywhere in the European Union as well as in Switzerland, as well as work, as well as study, you know, and, and benefit from the kind of benefits that citizens get. Um, it can be subsidized health care. It could be very affordable education. Um, so citizenship brings with it greater freedoms, especially when you're talking about Europe. Perfect. So. I mean, that's obviously a host of benefits. Um, and I see this, and again, I've been seeing this a little bit more and more in the past couple of years, but are people from the U.S., are they really interested in this? So if you asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would tell you not a lot. Um, I have at least been in business for 25 years, and really until about 2020, the vast majority of our clients came from emerging markets. They lived in countries where they had what is known as a weak passport. So it was very difficult for them to travel. They, they couldn't enter Europe without getting a Schengen visa, which could take a great deal of time. Um, they often lived in countries where they didn't have access to top-tier education or health care. Perhaps they feared for their safety because of the type of government that was running their country. Um, so it was natural for them to get a Caribbean passport. It's actually quite a strong passport which would improve their mobility dramatically, or to get a residence in Europe, which also would give them Schengen access if perhaps they lived in a country that didn't provide for dual citizenship. Um, it didn't speak too much to people in the United States. I mean, we have an incredibly strong passport. We can travel to over 180 countries without a visa. Um, and many people feel like it's a land of opportunity. Uh, but the first thing that happened in 2020 to really change the level of interest um, was the pandemic. And if many of us remember, I hate to bring you back to that time, um, the U.S. passport was blocked and people could not travel to other countries. People had vacation homes. They couldn't go to them. They had private planes. They couldn't land them. And a lot of, you know, people and especially high net worth people like really didn't like the way that felt. 
and they started to ask themselves, like, is there anything I can do to sort of protect myself from this happening to me in the future? And Henley saw an increase of inquiries coming from the United States in 2020, an increase of 220%. And it has increased dramatically um, every year since then, uh, because although the pandemic has faded, people still are you know, interested in improving their mobility in case something similar were to happen. Um, but a lot of also happened in our country to just, in general, make some people feel unsettled. Um, there's a lot of divisiveness. Um, there are, you know, many social issues that are driving people to to ask themselves, like, should I have some sort of insurance policy? If I wanted to leave the country, like, how could I guarantee that I'm able to do that? And today, uh, the United States is Henley's number one market, both in terms of the number of inquiries that we receive, as well as the number of applications that we submit. So, yes, people in the United States are very, very interested in it, um, especially uh, people that are of high net worth. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, generally speaking, the families that I've had exposure to that are contemplating this, you know, within their family history, you know, grandparents or great-grandparents fled you know, wartime Europe, uh, post World War II. And so that family story is still alive. And so, uh, that's kind of where I see a lot of it occurring. Um, but along those same lines, do people actually leave the U.S.? Um, yeah. And I'm going to actually comment on the story that you made because I think that that is very true. I think it's in a lot of people's DNA that did flee Europe, um, during World War II. And, I mentioned earlier that we also have a citizenship by ancestry line of business. And what's really interesting is that both Germany and Austria just a few years ago passed laws that stated that anyone who fled their countries due to Nazi persecution are entitled to citizenship. And I actually personally am going through the process of obtaining German citizenship for myself and for my kids. Um, and my brothers are doing it for their kids. Um, because of that law, and of course, Henley and Partners is able to help clients that are in similar situations. Um, so um, you're very, very right that people that had that experience are often the ones that are that are calling us and really trying to pursue that Plan B. Um, whether people actually leave, really, from the United States, very few of our clients are leaving for any significant amount of time. Um, yes, we have clients who are thinking about their retirement and have a vision of spending more time in Europe than the U.S. passport allows. So the U.S. passport allows you to go to Europe for 90 days out of 180 days. Um, if you had a vision later in life of being able to spend four or five months in France, you're not going to be able to do that easily with a U.S. passport. So yes, there are people that spend some significant time in other countries. We have people that have younger children that do like the idea of perhaps you know, spending a year or two abroad um, and giving their children sort of a global experience. Uh, but I would say the vast majority of our clients in the United States are doing it mostly as an insurance policy. Um, and of course, you know, glad that there are other benefits that come from it, but many really have no intention of necessarily changing their life too much unless they have to. Yeah, of course. So, so again, st- same line. Um, you often hear this in the terms of tax savings, right? There's some visit mm-hmm. coming down and are they renouncing citizenship? Do you see that at all? And I think you already answered it. No, very little, but just, just kind of want to get a little yeah, deeper. I would, there are definitely some people that do renounce their citizenship. 
Um, but I would say it's less than 1% of the clients that we work with. Of course, if you're planning on renouncing, you have to work with someone like us because you can't renounce your U.S. citizenship until you have another citizenship. Uh, but because the U.S. taxes on worldwide wealth and because there are huge exit taxes, um, it's not something for someone to take lightly. Um, we at Henley and Partners are not licensed to provide tax advice, um, and we work with terrific, you know, tax specialists in those circumstances where that is a real motivator for a client. Um, but I would say, in general, people are not renouncing. Um, you also brought up the question about taxes, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about investment migration and what it means to someone living in the United States. So one of the questions I get is, like, does that mean I have to give up my U.S. citizenship, meaning do I have to renounce if I get another citizenship? And as I explained, um, very few people do renounce. And no, you don't, because the U.S. permits dual citizenship. In fact, you can have more than two citizenships. And we have clients that get a portfolio of options. Um, it's not just one additional citizenship. It could be two. It could be a citizenship and a residence. And that's perfectly fine and permitted by the United States. But okay. revisiting the tax question, um, some people also say, if I become a resident, if I become a citizen, does that mean I have to pay taxes in that country? Um, so uh, let me give a, a brief answer, again, from somebody that's not licensed to provide tax advice. The answer is No. Um, most of the programs that we offer are territorial tax systems. So you don't become a tax resident of another country unless you live there typically more than 183 days a year. Now, if you were to qualify for a program by purchasing real estate, and many programs allow you to qualify by purchasing real estate, and you turn it into an investment property, and you generate income in that country, then you would have to pay tax on the income that you generate. Um, but just in terms of the fear of being double taxed because of the way the U.S. taxes on worldwide income, just by obtaining an alternative residence or citizenship does not mean that you will be subject to that. I would also add that part of our service is to introduce our clients to local tax providers um, so that they can get all of their tax questions answered. Okay. Um, perfect. So, you know, I think we covered you know, what's driving some of the interests, you named just several issues, a host of issues, and some of it is that sort of insurance policy, right? But what are the, what are the typical locations? And I know you mentioned a few, but what do you see out of, out of your clients that are looking to kind of have this option? Sure. So for U.S. clients, there are really two approaches usually. One is someone that wants an option very quickly and is seeing it purely as an insurance policy. And in those cases, especially if they don't want to make a huge investment, the Caribbean can be a very good option because you can get a Caribbean passport in as little as four to six months by making a pretty low monitor, monetary investment. Um, there are two routes in the Caribbean. You can invest as little as, well, I don't want to say invest. You can make a non-refundable contribution in the amount of $100,000. Um, and get a passport in three Caribbean countries. Um, Dominica, St. Lucia, and Antigua Barbuda are both are all at the 100,000 level. And then St. Kitts and Grenada are slightly higher. Um, I did want to mention, when I say 100,000, that's per application. And an application can include, like, a lot of family members. It can certainly include a spouse. Um, and it can include all your dependent children. 
And this is something for people to really think about in terms of their family and the ages of their kids. Because if you think you might want to pursue an alternative residence or citizenship, it's really best to do it if you can while your kids are still dependent on you. Um, usually that's defined by them being in full-time school. Some programs will have specific age restrictions. So in the Caribbean, same kids, you have to be under 26. Um, there are other countries where you have to be 29 or 31. Um, but you do have, the children do have to be financially dependent. So when I talk to clients and they have grown children, it can become a more expensive endeavor for them. So again, if you're working with families where the kids are younger, it might make sense to have a conversation now just so they at least know that it's an option. So anyway, back to the Caribbean. You can make a non-refundable contribution as well as 100000 per application, or there are also some real estate routes that you can do, um, either full deed uh, properties or fractional share properties, and usually the amount is slightly higher, somewhere around 200000 or starting around there. So I think okay. a lot of people go the Caribbean route. And then in parallel, they might look to do something in Europe. And in Europe, we would have two strategies. We would have citizenship options, and we would also have residence options. And so it would involve talking to the client and seeing what's really important to them. Do they really want to have that full freedom of being able to live anywhere in Europe as well as Switzerland? Or are they satisfied knowing, look, I'm really happy. I could see myself spending a lot of time in Spain, and I'm just going to focus and do a residence in Spain. Perfect. Um... You, know, you mentioned in the beginning that you work closely with many intermediaries like family offices. How does what you do fit into their world? And how do you typically share your expertise with them and their clients? Sure. So, I mean, family offices really want to be able to meet every need of their clients. They help with wealth planning, tax planning, estate planning, succession planning, and they really should have a basis of knowledge about citizenship planning. This has become a very real, important topic to families these days who want to use citizenship planning as a tool to help them mitigate risk and to create opportunities and to protect their wealth and legacy. A lot of citizenships will pass down to future generations. Uh, many families want to make sure that their kids have the ability to um, experience global culture, um, study perhaps in other countries, and this is a tool to be able to do that. So um, I can do a variety of things. Uh, one is internal training for people that work in the family office to give them a top-level overview of this world of investment migration that we're talking about today. And that way, they'll know how to respond. If a client says something like, do you know anything about the Portugal Golden Visa? Or they share their family history that, you know, their relatives escaped Nazi Germany, or maybe they say they want to diversify their assets. Um, this can be almost an alternative residence or citizenship can almost be a bonus for people that want to diversify their assets. So maybe they own one or two homes in the United States and they think, you know, I don't know that I want to have all my real estate holdings in the U S and they want to buy something in Europe. And I often will get a call and there are programs like Spain and Greece uh, where if you make an investment of a certain level in real estate, you get a residence. So it would totally make sense if they're not, you know, fixated on purchasing that real estate in one specific country to at least understand where they might get the added benefit of a residence. So I work with, with family offices just, you know, giving them that top level understanding. Um, 
And I'm also happy to meet individually with clients, or I know a lot of family offices do a monthly or a quarterly webinar, webinar on various topics. I've done that many times with family offices, and they actually are extremely well attended. Um, I recently did one for a family office that has about 100 families, and over 50 of them RSVP'd. So it's a very hot topic. Um, people don't know enough about it, um, and they're curious, and, you know, it may be something they want to pursue, but they at least want to be knowledgeable about it. Okay. Um, so let's let's uh, switch a little bit, and let's talk about citizenship rights. So are, this, are the rights of citizenship the same for a person who gets a citizenship by ancestry as someone who gets it by investment? Yes. Um, which is why during the course of the conversation, we always do like to find out a bit about the family history. Uh, because when you're going through the path of investment, obviously it's going to be more costly than if you could just qualify by virtue of your direct descendants. But it is the same rights for citizens. Um, what we find sometimes, and this is an interesting question that people often wonder about. For example, I shared I'm doing Germany. My husband will not be able to get the German passport. So he thinks that I'm going to leave him here in the United States. But um, actually, the EU has rules. It's like a family reunification rule. So my husband will be able to come to Europe with me um, if, if I do end up going somewhere there with my German passport. He just would not have citizenship. So if he were to extend his stay more than the 90 days that his U.S. passport allows, he would have to register with, like, the local police station. Uh, so he wouldn't have the same benefits, but it's not like he's going to be left behind. Interesting. So, you know, you kind of referenced this earlier. Does each member of a family need to go through this process, or are there some nuances to the to the entire thing? Yeah, so let's elaborate a little bit more on what I said um, about when it makes sense to have these conversations. Um Every family member that you want to get the rights of residence or citizenship will be part of an application. And the goal is for us to be able to have everybody on one application. And in many cases, that's possible. Um, but in some cases, it's not if the children are no longer financially dependent. Um, or sometimes people would like parents to be included. And then we have to think a bit about what program might make sense. So, for example, Greece allows parents to be on an adult child's application. So that's a great recommendation for someone that wants a residence in Europe that wants to include their parents or their in-laws. Um, usually, parents would have to be financially dependent on that adult child in order to be included in an application. So that's a great nuance that the Greece program offers. Similarly, in Portugal, um, if the parents are 65 or older, even if they're not financially dependent, they could be included on the same application. So these are the kind of things that we learn when we have conversations with our clients. We understand who they want to have part of the application, and we understand the ages and perhaps the financial dependency, and then we can make programs that are hopefully going to be able to meet the needs of all the people that they want to have part of the process. Perfect. Um... So how many distinct programs like this kind are out there? And what are the most popular ones for people who live in the United States? Sure. So there's probably like 100 programs out there, but Henley & Partners only offers about 40 of them. Um, all of those have been through 
our due diligence process and their programs that we consider to be top tier. Um, I spoke earlier about the Caribbean. That is also, you know, a, a very good option for many people in the United States that simply want to plan B. Um, and then Europe. And I'm going to go into a little more detail about some of the programs in Europe that I see as being the most popular for people in the U.S. For people who want to reach the point of having an EU passport, there really are three options. Um, a slow option that is relatively affordable is Portugal. Many people have probably heard of the Portugal Golden Visa. Um, essentially, you're granted it for five years. After making an investment, there are two routes. You can either make a non-refundable contribution of 250,000 euros into an arts or cultural organization, or you can invest 500,000 in private equity. There are many different funds that our clients can, can choose from. During those five years, you have to travel to Portugal 14 days every two years. You have to renew in year two and year four, and you need to pass an elementary level Portuguese language test at the end of five years. And then you can apply for citizenship, which will take another year to a year and a half. So it's a long path to the EU passport, but it's pretty reasonable. Um, most countries that will get you to the point of having an EU passport are going to require you to live there six months a year for like 10 years. So that's one of the reasons why Portugal is so popular. You really don't have a high physical presence requirement, but you still have a road to an EU passport, although not a fast one. If you wanted the EU passport faster, then Malta would be the best option. You can have an EU passport in roughly 18 months. However, it is significantly more expensive. It is structured not as a traditional investment. They look for a 750,000 euro non-refundable contribution to the Maltese economy for the main applicant, and then 50,000 for each qualifying dependent. And you also have to show a tie to the country in the form of real estate and make a small charitable donation. But it is a very fast path to an EU passport. We also suspect that this is not going to be around forever in Malta because they've tapped the program at 1,500 people. Um, so we're seeing a lot of interest right now. People want to get in before that option is gone. And then there's another path through Austria, which is actually more expensive, but a very discreet program um, that some ultra high net worth people like to learn about. From a perspective of residences, I would say the top three are Spain, Italy, and Greece. Uh, remember, a residence is only allowing you to live unlimited in your country of residence. But why these are popular is that there is no physical presence required. So you could get a residence in Spain, and you could live there 12 months a year, but you also never have to go and so still will be able to maintain your residence as long as you continue to maintain your investment, which in the case of Spain is an investment in real estate of 500000 so I would say those are the most popular. And then, you know, sometimes people will layer on uh, Dubai, uh, which you can get a residence by making a real estate investment, um, or people that want to diversify their assets and that might be thinking about investing in New Zealand. Um, you could become a permanent resident in New Zealand uh, via investing somewhere between 5 to 15 million New Zealand dollars for a four-year period. So, okay. So we've, yeah, we've talked about leaving the U.S., um, yeah. What about inbounding from outside the U.S.? Does the U.S. have a program for non-citizens? Yes, they actually do, uh, which many people are really surprised to hear about. It's called the EB-5. Um, and because we have offices in many, many parts of the world, uh, we do have a lot of people that 
want to come to the United States, despite the fact that I've told you a lot of people in the United States are trying to figure out what their exit strategy could be if they need to have one. So the EB-5 program is a, a route to a green card. Um, typically, you can get that green card by making an investment of around 800000 in an approved regional center. And depending upon whether you're in the United States or outside of the United States when you apply will impact how quickly you get that green card. We often see um, students whose families live outside of the United States and come to university in the United States going the EB-5 route because once they come to college here, they decide they want to. But there are also, you know, families, of course, living in other parts of the world that want to come to the United States that take advantage of this program as well. Yeah, I know a lot of uh, real estate development families are often familiar with the EB-5 as a source of capital for yes. their developments. So, so there's a lot of programs out there. And how are they typically facilitated? So each program will have a different path in terms of how quickly the process will get them to their end result. When working with Henley, first of all, we don't charge for any consultations. So people can speak with us and, you know, understand what their options are, and they may or they may not decide they want to go forward. We only charge if we can be of legitimate service, in which case um, we all of our clients have to pass a due diligence, um, and they also have to provide a source of funds um, to make sure that they have legitimate monies that they're using towards accomplishing their citizenship plans. Um, and then, you know, we have teams both in the United States that supports our clients here, but also local teams in each of the countries where we have a program that handle all the local elements on behalf of our clients, which would include opening bank accounts, getting tax ID numbers, um, introducing them to real estate brokers or fund managers, depending upon, you know, however they're going to be qualifying for the program, helping them understand all the documentation that's required, getting the appropriate certifications, and uh, trying to make it as easy and seamless as possible. I kind of analogize us a little bit to an accounting firm. You know, you have to do some work in order to get your taxes prepared, um, but the, the accountant is really doing as much of the heavy lifting as possible. So, yes, you will need to potentially get a medical test or you may need to present, um, you know, a copy of your passport, et cetera, but we're going to do everything else that we can to make it as easy as possible. Okay. Um, what about timeline? How long does the process take typically? So again, it's going to really vary depending upon the program, but I mean, it's, it's never going to be super, super fast. So for people that are thinking, Oh, well, we'll wait and see what happens at the election. You know, it could take a while to get your end result. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Caribbean, you can have a passport in as little as four to six months. Residence programs tend to, to process much faster. So Spain, Italy, Greece, within three months after submission, typically our clients are approved and have their residence. But European citizenship programs are likely to take much longer. Um, Portugal, as I mentioned earlier, has a huge backlog, and right now it's taking two years for the Portugal Golden Visa applications to be approved. So you may be waiting two years before you actually get that Golden Visa, then you need to hold it for five years before you're eligible for citizenship, and then another year to a year and a half until you get the EU passport. Um, Malta, as I indicated, is 18 months. Um, Austria, which is the other path to an EU passport, is going to be somewhere between 
two to four years. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I see a lot of demand driven by the families themselves, at least within the context of the family office landscape. Um, and then going to the family office executive or somebody at the family office saying, hey, I've heard of this or that. Can you figure it out, what it means for us and our family? But how would you advise family office executives to broach these opportunities or at least this concept with their clients? That's a really good question. And I mean, I think when I do have conversations with people at family offices, the key is really to sort of educate them on the drivers so that they can pick up on their knowledge of their clients um, and listen to concerns their clients may be having and knowing that citizenship planning could potentially be an answer to it. So, for example, um, if you know about your history of your family and they did escape Nazi Germany or Nazi Austria, it's a, a natural to say, you know, I just learned something really interesting that I think might be appealing to you. Or if they're talking about diversifying their assets and they want to buy homes in other areas or perhaps move money into another country, you know what, let's just talk to Henley because there might be an added benefit to us doing this diversification for you that, that you could realize. Um, or if they're just saying, oh, my God, like, I'm feeling really nervous about what's going on in this country. Like, should I put a bunker in the house? I mean, those are the kind of clients where they might want to know that there's a way to get a second passport or an alternative residence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there's obviously, you know, some keys at some point that can give the family executive like a entrance or an entree into having these conversations or broaching this topic with them. But this has been great. Um, super insightful, but before we leave today, is there anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with just clear up or something that we may have not covered at this point? You know, I think we did a really good introduction to the world of investment migration. I think the only thing I would end on is to say, I hear from my clients all the time, like, am I your craziest client? Like, I can't believe I'm worried about these kind of things. I can't believe I'm saying all these things. And Everyone that's listening should know they're not alone. Like, I really am hearing this all day from people living in the United States that just feel a little bit unsettled. And so they're not crazy. <laughs> they're not alone. Um, and if it would be helpful for them to understand how this might be something to help them feel more comfortable with this age of uncertainty that we're in, of course, we'd be happy to talk to them. Perfect. Uh, Judy, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. To our listeners, we appreciate the time. If you have any questions, go ahead and reach out to your financial advisor here at UBS and happy to facilitate an intro or talk more. Thank you. The material presented in this podcast has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. It is intended to be educational in nature. It is not an advertisement, nor is it a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments or to participate in any particular trading strategy, nor should it be viewed as such by the listener. UBS AG or its affiliates and its employees are not affiliated with any third-party speakers mentioned. None of UBS or its representatives is suggesting that the recipient or any other person take a specific 
course of action or any action at all in response to this podcast. By accessing and listening to this podcast, listener acknowledges and agrees with the intended purpose described here and disclaims any expectation or belief that the information constitutes investment advice or a solicitation of any kind. Any financial instruments or services described in this podcast may not be eligible for sale in all jurisdictions or to certain categories of investors. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy.